Parables, prayers, and psalms have been our focus for the summer, and we are ending that sermon series tonight, and we're looking very specifically uh, at Psalm 51. Now, I say that. Let me just say it again. Psalm 51. And some of you may know when I say Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is a very special kind of psalm. It's a psalm of confession. In fact, tonight's sermon is entitled Confession I just want you to think about that for a second. Let me ask you a question. Just raise your hand. Who here would say that you, at some point in your life, to God or someone else, uh, had to confess something? Just had to, had to open up on something, had to, had to be honest about something that you'd done? A few of you have never confessed. That's pretty amazing, actually. Um, maybe tonight. Maybe tonight will be the night. Uh, but confession, confession is a, a pretty important thing. Now, the word confession actually has two, two definitions to the word confession. The first definition just means to say something that is true, to make a confession is simply to say something that's true. I sound a little loud to myself. I'm not sure if I sound loud to you or not, but just giving that feedback. But, uh, but the second definition of confession is when you, you to, basically it means to, to come clean. It means you did something wrong, something you shouldn't have done, and you're owning up to it. You're owning up to what you've done. Now, Psalm 51 was written by David, and as I say David, just if you're, if you're new to church, you may not know much about that biblical person, David, but if, you, if you've been in church before, have some background, just think about what you know about David. David was a shepherd boy who fought Goliath. He was uh, betrayed by Saul, had to run for his life, but eventually, I'll say it, you cheer, eventually he was crowned king over Israel. That's a kind of a great thing right there. Thank you for cheering for that. And then David uh, was, a, was for a long time, a very, very successful king. He was successful militarily. The, the nation kept growing and growing and he had several wars and he was a great military commander. But then something happened to David. We're gonna talk about Psalm 51 tonight and give you a, a good example of what it's like to confess, a good example of confessing specifically to God. But, but really, honestly, I, I don't want you to be in a position where you have to confess. So I'm gonna back up the story, give you the backstory before the confession so maybe you don't do things that, that means you have to confess as you go along. Now we see this, the problem for David begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse one. Let's just jump in right there to see what leads up to David needing to confess sin in his life to God. 2 Samuel 11, one, it says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, in the spring, they would go to war, but, but actually, the, the, the background here, the, the context of 2 Samuel chapter 11 is they were already at war. There'd been a war raging uh, for almost a year against a, a kingdom called uh, Ammon, and they were at war against this kingdom. And, and now was the, 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 the winter had passed, the spring had come, just like right now uh, in, in Ukraine, they're talking about a, that, that spring offensive, and now it's gone into summer. But, but in spring is when you go to war, especially in the ancient world. And so David should have been leading his army. He should have been out front. He should have been an example of, of, of courage and leadership, but something is happening to David. And I think you'd be honest, if you're honest, we could say at the minimum, David is disengaged. He's become disengaged with his mission, with his role, with who he is and what he should be doing. He's become a bit disengaged. Now here's, here's what I find in life. I see if this applies to you or kind of where this hits you is, is before you get dis, disengaged, often it begins by being depleted or, or maybe the better word is exhausted. 
Maybe you've had that feeling before, maybe lately. In fact, I'm gonna survey you in just a second, but, but depleted is that feeling of, you know, I, I had energy, I was doing well, but, but now my, my resources, my, my internal resources are gone. I'm, I'm feeling depleted. Depleted then leads, I think, to, to disengaged. You're, you're, you don't have all your energy, your, your mental faculties, and you, just, you kind of get a little disengaged from what's happening. That's where David is in this story. Certainly, being disengaged leads often to being dissatisfied. That feeling that something is missing, something isn't right. I, I need more in my life than what I have. And dissatisfaction leads to discouragement sometimes. Discouragement meaning I, I've, lost, I've lost heart, I've lost courage. I've lost enthusiasm for life. And then the bottom of this little ladder is, is depressed. Actually, many theologians believe that David in this story has become depressed. He's gone from depleted, disengaged, dissatisfied, discouraged all the way to being depressed and not going out with this army. So let me, let me survey the room right now. And if you're watching online, please raise your hand as well. I'm just curious, how many of you in the last seven days would say you had a moment where you internally recognized, man, I'm, I'm tired, I'm depleted, I'm maybe even exhausted. Just raise your hand, I'm depleted. Okay, oh wow, almost everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody, anybody go on to feeling at moments in time in the past seven days somewhat disengaged? Anybody get to disengage? You kind of got there. Yeah, I gotta pull back. I can't do it. Now, when you get to that point of being dissatisfied, that feeling of like something's wrong, something's missing in my life, let me tell you that there's two ways that you can go. You're gonna reach for something and you may reach for relief when you should reach for restoration. And we're talking about this on, the, on our, our Springhills podcast, last couple episodes, the difference between relief and restoration. I'm gonna give a quote from John Eldridge talking about this very thing, relief versus restoration. And this is what he says. He says this, relief is momentary. It's checking out, numbing, sedating yourself. Television is relief. Eating a bag of cookies is relief. Tequila is relief. I was hoping for a laugh on that line, but that's John Eldridge, not me on that one. He goes on to say this. And let's be honest, relief is what we reach for because it's immediate and usually within our grasp. Most of us turn there when we really, what we really need is restoration. Not just temporary relief by, by eating something or drinking something or, or taking a long nap or, or some way of just temporarily relieving ourselves. It's restoration. And the thing is, David knows about restoration. David had already written, by, by the time Psalm 51 comes around, David had already written Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. When I stop, you guys jump in. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my, my soul. David knows about it. In fact, you see right in this verse, David even has a path. Hey, God led me to, to a quiet place. Nature, nature and the presence of God restores David's soul. So the question is, will he do it? Will he choose relief? Will he say, you know what? I'm depleted, I'm disengaged, I'm dissatisfied, maybe even depressed. What am I gonna get? Will I go into nature and prayer? Maybe I'll write a psalm of worship and, and let God restore me. Or, or am I gonna reach for a temporary, momentary distraction to bring relief? I'll be honest with you guys, just for this full transparency today, last week, last week, I reached that state of exhaustion and depletion in my life. Let me tell you, let me tell you what happened. Uh, last Saturday, I'll say it, maybe just give one hoot for this. Last Saturday was my daughter's wedding. A little hoot for that, right? And I was excited about it. I was very excited about it. 
Very excited about my daughter's wedding. By the way, I got a picture from my phone. Uh, she and her, her fiance, who's now her husband, Seth, they did a first look. And so I snapped a sneaky photo of their first look. And this is before, they, before the ceremony, they just spent some, a little time together. And this is the, the first look uh, photo I snapped. They're both crying, by the way, in that photo. And then the moment came, literally the moment came, she's gonna take my arm, we're gonna walk down the aisle, I'm gonna flip around, officiate her wedding, it's gonna be amazing. And, and I made a choice. I made a choice. I said, you know what? I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna shut it down in this wedding. I'm gonna be myself and I'm gonna be sentimental about my daughter. I'm gonna share some stories about her. I'm gonna tell her how much I love her, tell him how much, how much we welcome him into our family. And it was time, I was excited. And, and my daughter was walking up to me to, to take my arm, to walk down the aisle. And I snapped another picture of her in that moment. You wanna see it? Oh, there she is, sassy. Sassy Liz about to walk down now. And it was awesome. She take my arm. I remember it just so clearly. One week ago today, and we walk down the aisle and my heart is beating. I actually do this thing before weddings. I, I check my heart rate. Now I'm the officiant of weddings and the best one I ever had. The groom's heart rate was 160. Mine was 62. Fantastic. But I checked my heart rate before walking down the aisle and I was at 112. I'm like, oh, my heart, my heart rate's up. I walked down, we had the wedding. I went sentimental, I cried, they all cried. Then I pulled it in, held it together, officiated the wedding. And, and then we, you know, it was pretty hot outside and the sun is blazing down for photos and pictures. And before I know it, I'm like, man, I'm, my, my legs are a little tired. Man, I'm, I'm feeling a little, a little fatigued. And, and then we began the, uh, you know, the wedding uh, rehearsal, sorry, the, the reception, wedding reception. Those words always confuse them in my head. And, and all of a sudden at like eight o'clock, I'm like, whoa, hold on. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm, I'm depleted. After the reception, we had to clean up and spend some hours doing all that. And then, and then later, you know, I got back to the hotel room about midnight and I woke up the next day, Sunday, and I looked at my wife and I was like, honey, we need a recovery day. And she's like, absolutely, yes. I, w I was depleted. I was at a place of exhaustion. And you know what? That's a dangerous place to be. How many guys would say that you regularly feel depleted? Come on, raise your hand. Regularly. It's a dangerous place to be because you may well reach for some kind of relief instead of going through the process of allowing God to restore you. Here's your first fill in tonight. When you're exhausted, disengaged, or dissatisfied, it is your responsibility to seek restoration from God instead of temporary relief. Now, you may even think right now as you write that down, how? How would I seek restoration from God? I've got some things I do. Here's what I do. I make some space, I slow my pace, and I receive his grace. That's what I do. And those two things are on me. I gotta slow my pace, I've gotta make some space, and then I go to God to receive some grace from him. That's what I do to, to be restored. What do you do? And then do you know it? Do you know what your relief is? I'll, I'll tell you one of my go-to reliefs, and I hate saying it, goldfish. Oh, I hate saying it, but it's true. I don't buy them. I just steal them from my kids. And uh, it's, it's, it's like relief, momentary relief. So here's David, what's he gonna do? Is David gonna go to the meadow and, and sit by the quiet water and let God restore his soul? No, he doesn't. David chooses to take a nap. That's some relief, verse two. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his bed. He's napping. He's napping. His, his army is fighting an intense battle. He's in the palace napping. He arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And that's not unusual. Here's a picture in Jerusalem of being on the roof. It's a very common thing in that culture, but the palace was the highest of all. And here it happens. 
He needs restoration, but he sees an opportunity for relief. And look what happens. He saw from the roof a woman bathing. Could you gasp a little? Would you mind to gasp a little? Thank you. You're usually better at gasping. I don't know what's happening tonight. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. There's actually a, a, a biography of David written by uh, Jonathan uh, Koresh, a award-winning docu- uh, um, biography of David. And he says this about this moment. And here the biblical story of David hangs in suspense for one exquisite moment. Will David, the anointed of God, turn away from the tantalizing sight of the bathing woman? And will he spurn temptation in the way we would expect from a man after God's own heart? Or will he give in to the desires of his own heart? Now, I'll tell you from, from my perspective on this, and you don't have to agree with me, this is my perspective. I think if David had been prayed up, if David had gone to God and been restored, he's on the roof, he sees a bathing Bathsheba, he probably would have looked away and like gone, gone back to, to his life and, and gone on to do some good stuff, maybe gone to the army, but he didn't do it. He didn't choose to go to God and get restored. He needs relief. And here is the opportunity for the relief. And so David abuses his power. He has someone get Bathsheba, bring her to him. He sleeps with her. Now, hold on. Let's talk about Bathsheba for a second. I'm not sure this was her fault. She's 17 to 20 years old. He's 45 to 50 years old. She has no power in this situation. And, and, they, and they are intimate together. And the story goes on. And then she tells David, uh, by the way, I'm pregnant. And so David tries to work some things out to have her husband come back from the army, but it doesn't work out. And David eventually murders her husband to cover up his sin. Now, this is something I need to say to you tonight, and you need to really listen to what I'm saying. Your life can be going great. Your life can be, can be doing great things, even great things for God. And there's one moment in your life where you didn't take care of your heart, you didn't get yourself in a right place, and everything blows up. One moment can change everything. You have to guard your heart. Let me say it again. You say amen. You have to guard your heart. You got to keep yourself restored with God, not just reaching for relief, because there is temptation all around you. And one moment can ruin your life change your life forever. Here's, a, here's an example of that. This is a, a, a mountain uh, called Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens is a, a volcano. And this is how Mount St. Helens looked on May 17th, 1980. And one moment changed that mountain forever. It erupted. And here's how it looked the very next day, May 18th, 1980. That's how it looked. Completely changed. Completely different. One day, one moment in time changed everything. So David has a uh, Bathsheba's husband murdered. His name's Uriah. He has Uriah murdered. And then he, she mourns for her husband. And then David brings her into the palace, marries her, and begins pursuing a relationship with her. But we see at the end of this chapter, David's about to, to come before God and confess, but we don't see him confessing. We don't see sadness on his part. We don't see repentance on his part. Here's how the end of the chapter ends. 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You might just take from that verse tonight some time later to pray and ask God, God, is there anything in my life that is displeasing to you? Offer your life before God. God, here's my life. Show me what, is, what might be displeasing to you because I want to know, because I want to change it and confess. And then the very next chapter, very next verse, 2 Samuel 12, 1, and the Lord sent, could you say this name? Would you mind? Here we go. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now we have a new character. 
Now, Nathan was a, a priest, a prophet, a prophet who already had an established relationship with David. And Nathan is called to confront David's sin. Now, I'm, I'm talking about this tonight because I've had so many meetings with many of you, and I love you so very much, but many meetings I have with you have been about your need to, to confront someone. Your need to have a hard conversation with someone to point something out because you might know, and I certainly know, sometimes confession comes after someone is confronted about their behavior. And Nathan was called by God. Hey, Nathan, go to David and you gotta call him out. You you gotta let him know that I am displeased with him. And Nathan is an excellent example. If you ever, let me ask this question, raise your hand. Do you think in the future, near or far, you may at some point be asked or already contemplating a confrontational, hard conversation with someone about their life? Just raise your hand. If that ever happens to you, you can have a model in Nathan. Nathan does it right. So Nathan goes to David. He goes to David and he, he, uh, he uses wisdom. He has an established relationship. David already trusts him. And Nathan approaches him with this wisdom, with this wise way of getting David's heart to turn in the right direction. Nathan tells David a story and it begins like this. There are two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. Now, of course, David is the rich man, but David doesn't realize that, but he's the rich man. And the poor man is the man he had murdered, Uriah. And David says the rich man has all these animals, all all these lambs and sheep, but the, the poor man has one lamb. And he loves the lamb as Uriah loved Bathsheba. He loves the lamb. He cares for it. He's, he's with the lamb day and night. By the way, here's a lamb just to get you in on the how cute lambs can be. Here we go. There we go. That's right. Just for a second, hang out in this lamb. Oh, that's it. Lambs are like puppies, actually, a little bit. Just a sweet, beautiful little lamb. And in Nathan's story, he says he's a man and, and, and he loves the lamb. But you know what? The, the rich man has, has guests coming, traveling in and the rich man takes the only lamb the poor man has and, and makes it the meal for his guests. And, and, this, and David got so angry. Look what David says. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And then Nathan has his moment and Nathan says, you are the man. That's a big moment right there. That's an awesome moment. He tells David a story about David. David doesn't realize it. And then he catches him. And all of a sudden, David realizes, I need to confess. Now, when you find yourself like Nathan, needing to confront someone, here's your fill-in, by the way. Like Nathan, you may be called to confront. Like Nathan, you should do it with wisdom, gentleness, and when appropriate, boldness. So right now, we're gonna read David's confession. David recognizes, I committed murder. I've committed adultery. I've done all these wrong things. And he goes to God to confess his sin. And you and I both will find ourselves in the future in a moment in time when confession is necessary. And here's a good model for us. Lights are gonna come all the way down. Come on down, lights. And we're gonna, we're gonna watch a video that we produced where Pastor Brad reads Psalm 51 for all of us to soak in the moment. Here's Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight 
So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So we look at Psalm 51, a few things I just want to point out to you and uh, just begin to begin with three things, three things in Psalm 51 that are a little bit interesting to look at and to take note of. And then, and then we'll talk about David actually prays for three things. And when you go to confess or I go to confess, these same three things should be exactly what we're praying to God as we acknowledge we've done things that maybe were not right or should not have been done. But three things right away, just to point out, David prays this, uh, David prays this and you never have to, okay? David appropriately prays this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would rest on someone, but after Christ died and rose again, the Holy Spirit indwells us, amen. And so David prays this. David says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You, if you're in Christ, you never have to worry about that or pray about that. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. Say amen to that. Number two, David says this. David says, against you, God, and you only, have I sinned? That's in verse four. And, and you can look at that and it's okay for you to say, hey, that's not right, because you're right. It's not right. David has not yet taken full responsibility for his actions because when you, when you commit adultery and you murder someone, you don't only sin against God, you sin against those people as well. But later, David will take full accountability for that. But I'm just pointing that out for you. And then the last one, and maybe the most complicated thing to point out before we get into it is simply this. David says something strange. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And the question for, for, for you to interpret this Psalm correctly is, is David saying something here where he's, he's suddenly switched from like a mournful confession. He's suddenly switched to, to give us some theology about babies are actually sinful and not innocent. And, and I would say to you, no, he's not doing that. He's not saying that if a baby dies in an accident or, or SIDS or whatever, that baby is gonna be judged by God as guilty. We don't believe that at all. We believe children uh, under the age of, uh, of accountability are innocent. 
So he's not, say, he's not talking about theology. He's talking about his own heart. But he is saying this, and it is something for us to think about as we're, as we're thinking these days uh, about abortion. And he's simply saying this, life, I'm gonna say it and you can say amen. Life inside the womb matters. Life inside the womb is precious and life inside the womb God adores. So let's talk about what David prays. Three things David prays and you should pray it as well. Number one, David says this to God. He's confessing and he says, God, forgive me. You can write that down. Forgive me, God. I did something wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I'm confessing, forgive me. Now, David asked God to forgive him nine different times in nine different ways in Psalm 51. One of the ways David says, forgive me, he says, wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. That means David feels dirty. And when you, when, you, when you make a mistake and you do what you shouldn't do, you probably also feel dirty. You feel unclean and like, man, I, I need a bath. I need, I need God to cleanse me and wash me from my sin. And, and he prays that, actually he prays both of those twice. Wash me twice, cleanse me, he prays twice. And then David says this, blot out, blot out my sin. David is imagining that God has a book and then in God's book, God has written down everything that David has done. And David's saying, take it out of your book. God, blot it out. Take away my sin, blot out my sin. And then verse 14, it's it's a good one. Forgive me for shedding blood. Now David, from verse four, where he wasn't really taking responsibility, now in verse 14, he's taking full responsibility. I have not only sinned against you, God, I've shed blood, I've taken blood, I've committed murder. So maybe you're wondering right now, okay, how how would David be forgiven by God and how would we be forgiven by God? So let's talk about that. How would David be forgiven? Well, in that time period, David needs to make a sacrifice. He's got to take an animal to the temple and have that animal, it's a still tabernacle at that point, have that animal sacrificed, have the blood of that animal then sprinkled uh, you know, on, the, on the brazen altar and, and ask God to forgive him by the death of this animal, by the shedding of this blood that David could be forgiven. But David says something really astounding and mature. He says this, you God do not delight in sacrifice. Or I would bring it, I'd bring the animal, we'd sacrifice it. But you take no pleasure in burnt offerings. What does God want? God wants a broken and contrite heart. David understands repentance begins in the heart. David could do an outward action, take an animal, sacrifice it, his heart's not in it. And he's he's saying, I know I wouldn't be forgiven if I just had an outward action. It starts in my heart. So take a second right now just evaluate the state of your, of your heart. Where is your heart with God? Where, where is your heart as you, are, are you only doing empty acts of worship like David's comparing to the sacrifice or is your heart in the right place of loving God and worshiping him? David says, forgive me. We'll come back to how we are forgiven at the end of this sermon. David says, forgive me. And then David says something really important. You gotta grab onto this. David says, not only forgive me, God, change me, change me. If you only forgive me, God, I might do something similar again. I need to be changed. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Ruah is the Hebrew word for spirit. And in this case, you could, the, the, the word spirit, that Hebrew word ruha, actually has 17 different ways it can be applied in different situations. Probably in this situation, best to use the word attitude. Renew a right attitude within me, God. Create in me a clean heart and change my attitude and how I'm seeing things. Change me. And then David asked for this. 
Oh, before I go to that, I had a little example this week of a, of a pure heart. Not only did I have my daughter's wedding on Saturday of last week, uh, this couple, uh, that's Justin and Tawny right there, their son Lincoln, they, they uh, got an email from Tawny and she basically said, Pastor Tom, we're gonna get married. We've got an appointment at the courthouse, but I was thinking maybe better to get married at church if you're willing to marry us. And I said, absolutely. And there's some counseling involved and we got that all, all sorted out and, and their wedding was this week. And a sweet moment of a pure heart just kind of came forward at their wedding. So we're, we're standing out front right out here in the front of the church. And by the way, our intern, uh, Landon, was our photographer. Nice, give him a little hand, everyone, for first-time wedding photographer. And thank you for that, Landon. Nice shot. This is my, my phone he's got in his hand. And we're just doing the wedding. And, and you can see Lincoln. Little Lincoln's just kind of standing there and watching everything. And, and the bride and groom put on their wedding rings. And then I put my Bible down and I said, put your hands on the Bible and I'll pray for you. And I closed my eyes with the Bible there and I didn't realize, but little Lincoln stepped up and put his hand right on the Bible, right with his mom and right with his dad, right there under my hand. And I actually thought, man, their hands are soft. Nope, it's a little, it's a, it's a little guy. It was such a sweet moment of, of his pure heart, his pure heart saying, you know what? There's prayer, I'm in. Pastor Thomas said, put your hand on the Bible. I'm putting my hand on the Bible. I want prayer. I'm part of this family too. And he receives prayer, right? The little, little pure heart moment. David says, create in me a pure heart. You can't just forgive me, God, and leave me as I was. Change me, create a pure heart in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Who remembers, raise your hand, the joy of the salvation that God brings in your life. The knowledge that you're forgiven. The knowledge that God is with you. The knowledge that God is walking with you. And just like David you might lose that joy. You know, David actually said in Psalm 119, 111, David said this, your law, God, is the joy of my heart. But now in Psalm 51, he's lost it. He's lost that joy. And he's saying, God, rekindle, restore the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit, a willing attitude, an attitude that says, yes, I want to follow after you and to do what's right in my life. Number one, David says, forgive me. And when you make a mistake, when you mess up, say the same thing. God, forgive me. God, blot out my transgressions. God, wash me and make me clean. Let me know that I'm forgiven. And number two, you should be praying this. God, change me. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. I want to want what's right. I want a willing spirit that desires what is right and good and true. And that brings a question right now. How, how do hearts become changed? Now, David prays it and you should pray it too. That's probably step one. Step one on a changed heart is to pray for it. God created me a pure heart. But second of all, your heart, listen, your heart is deeply affected by the people that surround you in your life. People that surround you will affect your heart. And if you want God to put a pure heart in you, think about the influences in your life. And maybe think about this fall, we're gonna be having a, a new session to join community groups, to get involved in a group and, and to let people be around you that can pray for you and walk with you and help you. If you want your heart to change, think about the people surrounding you and then think last of all, I'm gonna say this, see if you agree. Your heart is affected by what you fill your head with. What you fill your head with affects your heart. So why not begin to fill your head with, with scripture and the word of God and let the things of God be the focus of your mind so your heart is affected by what you fill in your mind. Change my heart, oh God. Who would say, raise your hand. You'd also pray that with David. I, I need 
a pure heart, even more pure than it is now. Just raise your hand. I want to pray that. Purify my heart, God. And the last thing David prays is beautiful. And you should pray all three. Forgive me, change me. And then here's a beautiful one. Last one. These are my words. I see David saying, send me. God, forgive me. God, change me. And then God, use my life. Use my life for you. Send me to people that need to know how to follow you. David says, then I will teach. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. And David also says, he says, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your your praise. Listen, if you are in Christ, listen carefully to what I'm saying. People who are in Christ, those who follow Jesus, who are called Christians, Christians are called sent ones. Because God sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And we have been sent into the world to do the work of God in this broken, broken world. And listen carefully. As I say that, as I say, you may be called to step up, step out, say something, engage with someone, find a way to serve, find a way to say, I want to. I want my life to count for what God's doing in the world. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes it is so much easier than you imagine to be. Maybe you're looking at it and it just seems so hard. You know, this, this past week, uh, uh, early voting had begun for, for issue one and I wanted to go vote, you know, so I, so I did and I, I budgeted time because I thought there's gonna be long lines. By the way, over 200,011 people in the state of Ohio have already voted on issue one and early voting and I thought there might be long lines. So I prepared myself, but when I got there, there were absolutely no lines. And if you know anything about me, you know I hate lines and I hate waiting. I just kept going, you know, downstairs and here we go and voting and, and got the voting done and walked out and I was like, okay, okay, that was easy. It's much easier than I thought it was going to be. And sometimes, often in fact, stepping out, saying something to someone about Jesus, being an example to someone about Christ is so much easier than you think. Here's what you should do. Number one, share your story. Let me say it again. Share your story. Your story is powerful. Let God put you in a position to share what he has done in your life and see how your story, empowered by the Spirit, can help you step out. David says three things. They're clear, they're amazing, and you want to understand them. Forgive me, change me, and send me. I'll say it again, you say amen. Forgive me, change me, send me. Send me. Now, how about us being forgiven? Let's come back to forgiveness because I'll tell you, from from me to you, there's almost no feeling on earth like the feeling of known, knowing that God has forgiven you, that God has washed away your sin, that God has completely and fully redeemed you and you are now acceptable to go before God. And you don't have to earn that. You don't have to live right for 10 years. You don't have to do all the right things for a very long time. David actually gives us a really good understanding. David says in verse seven, Psalm 51, seven, cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. You know, I've been reading this psalm my entire life. And for the first like 44 years of my life, I thought hyssop was like a kind of soap. That's what I thought it was. I'm like, hyssop is probably like a, like a soapy thing they had back in the day. And he's like, he's like, clean me with your soap, God, and I'll be clean. So one day, maybe six years ago, I did some research on hyssop. What is it? What is it? And why does David say, clean me with hyssop? Now, hyssop is a plant, looks just like that. Hyssop is used in cooking. It's used in herbal medicine. But the number one use for hyssop is in sacrifices. 
For example, in, in Exodus 12, 22, the hyssop is used in the first Passover, imagine it, in the first Passover to spread the blood around the door frames. They were instructed, use hyssop to spread the blood. If you don't know that story, if you're new to church or new to faith, it's a story about God providing through, through shed blood, providing a way forward of deliverance. You know, beyond that, that uh, first Passover, also hyssop was, was a means of transferring the blood of the sacrifice onto that brazen altar. The hyssop actually was used to sprinkle the blood that says, I'm cleansed, I'm clean in the Old Testament system. And then if you don't know this, John 19, 29, a jar of white vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips when he wanted a drink from the cross. That hyssop actually touched the body of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. And when David says, clean me with hyssop, he means there's a sacrifice made for me and the sacrifice has been made for you and that sacrifice is Jesus Christ. You can trust in the death and resurrection of Christ. You can trust in the power of Christ that your sins have been forgiven. A pastor in the last century, his name is Donald Barnhart. He actually said it like this. He's speaking to all those who are in Christ and he simply says this. Our sins are forgiven, forgotten, cleansed, pardoned, atoned for, remitted, covered over. They've been cast into the depth of the sea, removed as far as the east is from their west and remembered no more. I want you to bow your heads right now, just right here in church. We've got a baptism in just a moment. It's gonna be awesome. But think about yourself just for a second. Maybe there's some things right now that you need to confess to God. Say, God, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't been doing my part. I needed restoration, God, but I've been clawing at the relief in my life and not the restoration. Maybe right now is a time for you to confess, to say, God, forgive me, change me, and send me. But there are probably some in the room right now who if they're being very honest with themselves, they would simply say, I have never asked Jesus Christ to forgive my sin. So right now I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna pray a, a real simple prayer. And if you're ready to obey God with your life, if you're ready to have God involved in your life, if you're ready to surrender to him, just pray this prayer with me right now. I'll pray out loud. You pray quietly. It goes like this. Father God, I thank you for tonight. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've committed sins. I confess them to you now. Forgive me. And Jesus Christ, I know you died for me and rose again. Come into my life. I give my life to you. In your name I pray. We're going to celebrate new life in Christ. Come all you weary, come 
Jesus is waiting, God so 